Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Giving everything to Him. That's where we uh, want to stand and that's where we certainly want to be is that He gets everything. And I hope that that's the case in your life. I hope that's, you know, what uh, brings you the most joy is to give your life fully unto the Lord. Well, as we uh, come together today, we... Uh, I started a series last week, uh, Seven Things That God Hates, and uh, I was planning actually on preaching number two out of uh, Proverbs 6, uh, talking about today, the second thing that God hates is a lying tongue. And uh, I had prepared that message, and uh, I had went to bed last night at 8 o'clock. I was tired, and uh, in the middle of the night, I uh, was just wrestling about uh, my message and preaching uh, that message today. And, you know, I knew we were doing the Lord's Supper and I just really felt convicted that, you know, the Lord's Supper is not something to be tacked on to the end of a service. You know, so many times we, uh, we tack it on. It's, you know, we do it once a quarter and, and uh, you know, it's easy to uh, preach something else. And at the end, sort of the invitation to tack it on at the end. And, you know, the great liberty with that is that God doesn't say how to do it. God doesn't say, you know, you got to, uh, you know, do it as the whole service or you got to, you, can, you can't tack it on. The, I mean, God doesn't really give me a lot of leeway to do that. And part of the reason why I think a lot of us as preachers, we tack it on at the end of a service simply because there's just not a lot of data in the Bible that deals with the Lord's Supper specifically. So it's not like, you know, it's like how many sermons can you hear out of, uh, you know, uh, Jesus instituting Lord's Supper out of the Gospels or in, in you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How many sermons can you really hear from those? Uh, and we could try to be creative and we have done that. We went out in the Old Testament, looked at some scriptures and that sort of thing. But I really just felt convicted, you know, in my heart that, you know, let's just focus on the Lord's Supper. Day. And I, I went back and I began to look at my Lord's Supper messages that I've ever preached uh, over the uh, years I've been in ministry and specifically began to look at the here. Uh, and it seems like every two years without clockwork, it just seems like God draws my heart back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. And I know you've heard the sermon before because I've preached it three other times here. Uh, every, other, every couple of years it's come up, but I don't apologize for that because line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, we learn. And sometimes, you know, God just has to remind us of the basics. Sometimes God has to remind us that, you know, this thing called the Lord's Supper that we do is important. That it's not just something we do as Baptists once a quarter, uh, but this is something that we are commanded in Scripture to participate in. It's something that Jesus has given us along with the ordinance of baptism. Uh, it is the, the only other ordinance that Jesus has given us. And we call them ordinances because they're not sacraments. These are, they, they have no grace-giving power. The grace given to us is by the Lord Jesus Christ and he alone. Amen? It's by his work and death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that grace has been wrought into our lives. It's, we never receive grace by participating in baptism. Baptism doesn't save. It does not play a part in saving you. It plays a, plays a part in your obedience. 
It, it, plays, it plays a part in your testimony, but it doesn't save you. And neither does partaking of the juice and the bread element that we're going to take up today. It has no saving power, but it's a great testimony of the work that Jesus has done for us. Amen? And so we come today and we, sort of, we celebrate the, the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of our master in order that we can have a right relationship with God the Father by his sacrifice. And so we'll come today and we'll celebrate that at the end of the service. And so I really felt convicted that, you know, we needed to once again just sort of walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the reason why is because God wanted us to have a pattern, right? God wanted us to, to make sure that when we come to the table, we have some information on how to at least do it rightly, right? I mean, it's just how we are supposed to approach the table. And so the, the greatest place for that is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God, you know, wrote uh, through Paul what we need to have. Not only that, Paul says in, the, in this text alone, he says that what he received, he's giving. So, you know, I believe that, that Jesus gave some instructions to him as well. And so, uh, you know, Paul is giving us what's on the Lord's heart, what's on the Lord's mind, what's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we think about that text, what I want to do is just sort of talk about 1 Corinthians 11. In, and I want to break it out in three different segments. It makes it easier for us to understand. But let's read the whole text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want us to begin in verse 17. Listen to what Paul says to us about the Lord's Supper. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, he says, I believe it. He said, but there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. He says, what? Do you not have houses, he says, in order to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27. Therefore, here's Paul's final instruction. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, he says, many are weak and sick among you, and many have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, he says. Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And he says, lest you come together for judgment. And he said, and the rest I'll set in order when I come. And Paul had a great desire to go and to be back with them and to share with them 
together in ministry. So I want you to think about the Lord's Supper this morning. And as we sort of look at this text together, Paul breaks it down pretty easily for us, beginning in verse 17 and through verse 22. What we see, first of all, is that the Lord's Supper is a celebration of our unity in Christ. You and I need to understand something right up front. Before we come and we participate in the table that is before us this morning, one of the things that is necessary is that we examine our own hearts as it pertains to the fact of unity. Where do I stand? Where do you stand in the issue of unity in the body of Christ? Now, notice that I'm not asking you to examine anybody but yourself. It's not about me looking at somebody else and going, well, they're just not in. No, I have to look at myself because I'm responsible to myself, to the Lord. I'm not responsible to examine your heart, to look into your soul. That's between you and the Father. And so as we think about what Paul says here, notice how Paul gives us this word. Paul is writing to them and he's grieved in his heart. In verse 17, he says, because in giving the instructions and in talking about the Lord's table, talking about celebrating together as a church, what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary, Paul says, rather than being joyful about that, rather than coming and being, you know, celebratory, I first, I'm, I'm a little grieved, I'm a little disappointed because he says in verse 17, because they come together for the, the worse, not for the better. That is, they don't come together in unity and in fellowship to celebrate the Lord's table, but he begins to tell us in the text, if you look at verse 18, he says that there are folks who, he says, first of all, when they come together, there's division in the church in verse 18. Now, you know what he says about division there? He says that there is this divide that's going on. And he'll talk about that in just a minute. But you know what he says? In part, I believe it. In other words, don't believe everything you hear about church. Amen? Because Paul says, you know, there are some things about what, that I'm hearing through the channel of gossip and through the grapevine. He says, some of it I can believe, but some of it I just can't believe. Amen? I mean, we're too quick to believe everything we hear. And the truth of the matter is, just because it's said on the internet doesn't mean it's true, <laughs> right? And so we're quick to believe everything we hear. And so sometimes what happens is because we're quick to hear what we think is truth, sometimes that causes a divide even further, right? That, that causes even more conflict, causes even more division in the church. And so Paul says, listen, as I'm listening in, as I'm hearing what's coming my way through the Corinthian church, he says, I believe half of what I'm hearing. Some of it I'm just not going to believe because I don't think it's true. Or at least in his mind, he's not going to give it any time. He's not going to think on it. But what he does know disappoints him. Because notice what he does know. Notice in verse 19. Because he says that there are people in the church. He says, there must be then factions among you. He said, there has to be some of this true. He says, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. There, there was a group, a clique in the church that had to have their way. They had to have their uh, their names on everything. They had to have the decision-making power and everything. So he says, there are those in the church, he says, that had to be approved and be recognized among you. So there's always this crowd that wants to rise to the top. They want everybody to recognize them. They want everybody to, to look what they're doing. And so they had to have this power in the church, Paul says. And he goes on and he says in the text, he said, not only were they having this power struggle, but notice in verse 20, he says, therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? He says, 
For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, another is drunk. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying not only is there this group by which there has to be this approval, that there is this group that has to rise up and be the cream of the crop of everything, but then there's also this faction that's struggling within the church where people are not really loving on each other, not really caring for each other. And you know how it demonstrates itself? It demonstrated itself in the fellowship meal. Now, we're not really... We're not really understanding what Paul is saying because we don't celebrate the Lord's Supper like the Grace Brethren do, where they have a full-out love feast before the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and they also do foot washing in their religion. We don't do that as Baptists. We come together, we celebrate the Lord's table, and when we do so, there's no love feast involved. But here at the church at Corinth, they're coming together for a love feast, a fellowship meal where they come together and they celebrate together, and then they partake of the Lord's table. Now, when they were doing that, here's the problem. There was different kinds of folks in the crowd. There was those who had plenty to eat. There was those who had nothing. And there was those, believe it or not, they were getting drunk at church. Isn't that just crazy? Isn't it? Does that not blow your mind that somebody would, would be in church drunk? That just blows my mind that that was going on in the church at Corinth. And so at this fellowship meal, there was just no regard for one another. It was just mayhem. It was, it was dysfunction. And, and Paul says, you know, I, I wish that I, I could write something more positive. I, I wish I could really say that you guys had it together. But the truth of the matter is, not only do you got this group that wants to be the cream of the crop and they want to run everything, but you also got this other group of people who, you know, you guys just, you, you know, you're not caring on a, on a basic level for one another. You know, you got food, you got food that you're not sharing. You got people are getting drunk. And, and Paul says, listen, you know, if you're going to act like this, just keep it at home, right? And know what he says? I, I, I love this, this next verse. He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Now what Paul is, listen, let me tell you what Paul is not saying. Because some people have interpreted this verse the wrong way. Paul is not saying that it's a sin to eat fellowship meals at church. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, if you guys can't act any better than this, take it home. Don't do it here. Take it to the house. So here's the truth of the matter. If you're going to have food here, and you're not going to share your food, and you're not going to be nice to the person sitting next to you, then just keep your food at home. Certainly keep your beer there, amen? We don't need beer in the church. (laughs) Paul said, keep your drink there, you know? And so the reality is that when we come together as the body of Christ this morning and we celebrate the Lord's table, we need to understand first and foremost that this ordinance was given to us as a church. This ordinance was given to the body of Christ and we are to come together as the body of Christ realizing that our unity is only because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he has brought us together this morning as First Baptist Church of Level Plains and our guest. He has brought us together from different upbringings, from different income levels, from different parts of the world. He has brought us together as one, uniting us in himself in order that we would celebrate today in unity and in love the Lord's Supper. See, for us this morning to come in here with division, separation, anger with one another, pride towards one another, that distorts the table. And so the Apostle Paul writes pretty strongly and says to them, I wish that I could praise you, but I can't praise you 
Because when you're coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you've forgotten your identity in Christ has made you one, has brought you into a place of unity as a church, as the body of Christ. What a beautiful thing it is to come as a body of Christ this morning and to celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection as we do that as brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another, who are concerned for one another, and who can encourage one another this morning. Amen? Now listen, that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that every church doesn't have some kind of dysfunction. Amen? We are a family. There's dysfunction in every family. I'm convinced. Amen? I don't care what kind of family you grew up in. You'll say, oh, that doesn't exclude my, that's not my family. I'm telling you right now, there's some dysfunction. Amen? In everybody's family. But let me tell you something. Dysfunction can still have a unity. Amen? Even in, our, even in our differences and even in the things that we may not agree upon, we can have unity. Amen? What is it, where, where does it ever happen in the church that we can just say, you know what, I disagree, but you know what, my disagreement with you, I still love you. You know what, I still love you. And, and we may, well, listen, we can disagree and still love one another. Amen? Amen? Hey, you know how I know that? I'll be married 33 years, November the 1st. <laughs> Amen? That's how I know that. Guys, you ever disagree with your wife? No, don't, don't you lie either. That's next Sunday's sermon. I'll use you as an illustration. <laughs> but it's the truth, right? So even in our own marriages, we realize that sometimes with our spouse, we disagree. We disagree with our children because we're raising them. We're trying to teach them the way to go. And we disagree sometimes with them. But it never, ever, ever do we lapse in our love for them. And it's the same in the body of Christ. I may not agree that Tim wears an ugly green shirt to church. But I love him. Amen? I love him. I may not agree with my <coughs> Auburn friends back there, but I love you in Christ. Amen? So, so the reality is, yeah, there may be times where we may be like cats with our tails tied together. <laughs> but the reality is, if we come realizing that we can be unified in the body of Christ, and what matters more is not what I think ought to be the color of the carpet, or what the color of the wall to be. Well, what matters more is that I love my brother and sister in Christ. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. My, the truth of the matter is with me, I could care less what color carpet we got. I could care less what color, what color wall we got. I really could care less. I mean, I, I'm just be honest with you. I could care less because it doesn't matter to me. I'm here to worship Jesus, not the wall. Amen? But as we come together as the body of Christ, isn't it wonderful when we can say, you know what? Yeah, I don't, I don't always agree but I love you in Christ. And that's more important. Amen? You know what that does? That, deal, that, that, that does away with all grudges, doesn't it? I don't hold a grudge against anybody. Amen? Why? <laughs> because that's poison. And it's poison you drink waiting for yourself to die because the other person's not going to. Amen? You're poisoning yourself is what you're doing. So Paul says we come together. It's a celebration of our unity in Christ. But that's not all he says, because the table's not about us. <laughs> the table's about Jesus. Amen? So it's when we come together, it's a celebration. Notice what he says. It is a celebration of Jesus. And notice how he picks up with that and then slip down in, in your Bible there to verse 23. And he just gives us the institution of the Lord's Supper. Notice what he says. First of all, it's about the sacrificial death of Jesus. He says to us, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, verse 23, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we come together and we celebrate, we remember that we're celebrating what Jesus has done for us in his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. Notice that what Paul says Jesus said is that when you come together and we celebrate, that it's Jesus taking the bread, and he's taking that bread, and he's likening it to his own body being broken upon the cross of Calvary. Now, that's sacrifice, because you know what? Jesus was sinless. Jesus knew no sin. It was impossible for Jesus to sin. And so when you begin to think about the body of Jesus being broken upon the cross, that should have been you and me. We should have hung on the cross. We deserve the death that he took for us. But then Jesus doesn't stop just with his broken body, does he? He doesn't stop there. But he also talks about that atonement being made. He says in the text, notice the next verse. He says that Jesus on that same night took the cup. And Jesus did something special with that cup, right? He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. See, Jesus, his blood had to be poured out. Why? Because that's the atonement. People don't want to talk about the blood today. People say, well, don't talk about that blood stuff at church. Well, let me tell you something. Without the blood, there's no salvation. Without the atoning work of Christ on the cross, not just his broken body, but his blood poured out, your sins will not be washed. Amen? I mean, Jesus is likened to the book of Leviticus when they would take that sacrificial lamb. And they would take two, actually. You remember, they would take one, upon which they would lay their hands upon, and they would call that the scapegoat, and they would put their hands upon them, and the Bible says that they would begin to pronounce the sins of the people onto this, this animal, and then afterward they would release it out into the wilderness. Well, let me just tell you something. What happened is, ceremonially, on the cross of Calvary, what God has done is, he has placed his hand on his son, and you and I have taken all of our sins, and we've laid it upon him. He who knew no sin became our scapegoat, amen? All the sins that we had were laid upon Jesus, and he bore all that sin on the cross of Calvary. Every nasty thing you ever looked at on the television or on the internet, every thought you ever had that was impure, every act that you ever did, listen, it was laid upon Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Everything. He became the scapegoat. But then they would take that other lamb and they would slit its throat and they would capture the blood of that lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb. And then once a year, they would go in to make atonement for the people. And when they went in to make atonement, only one man could go in, the high priest. And he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. And he would be in the presence of God doing that. Let me tell you something. Jesus slit his own throat on the cross of Calvary. He poured out his own blood for you and me. Amen. And he went and he took that blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat of God. And that's what makes your salvation and my salvation available. It's not because I'm a good person, not because I preach, not because I go to church. It's simply by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Nothing else is going to save you this morning. You hear me? You cannot go to church and be saved. Amen. What you got to do is repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ and the grace of God will fall and he will bring you into salvation and he will save you. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. We are impossibly, hopelessly outside of salvation if it wasn't for God and his grace toward us. And so Paul says when we come together this morning, we come and we celebrate Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross 
of Calvary, his atonement that he has made for us in shedding his blood in order that our sins could be atoned for and washed away by his blood on the cross of Calvary. Listen, friends, don't fool yourself this morning. This is not just some Baptist ritual we're walking through this morning. This is something that Jesus has given us to remember the very fact that he died for us, that he would atone for us. But it's not just about his death, is it? Notice how Paul goes on and says, he says that this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took that cup at verse 25 and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes But I want you to understand something. His death also included a resurrection, didn't it? When we celebrate the Lord's table today, we don't just remember the broken body of Christ, the spilt blood of Christ. We don't just remember that his atoning death brings us salvation, but we remember we serve a risen Savior. Amen? He rose from the dead, and he did that in bodily form on the third day. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Mary touched him. We're told that the disciples ate with him. Amen. You remember Thomas didn't believe and he said, touch and put your hand in my side. Peter was restored by a risen Christ on a beach after they had breakfast one morning. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive and he came to life bodily for you and for me. You cannot, listen, you cannot have the atonement of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ without a resurrected Christ. It's impossible. But then notice what he says as we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate all that he's done. But listen, we celebrate the fact that he's coming again. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. Are you looking forward to Jesus coming again? Say amen. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward because I know he's coming. Amen. He promised. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Amen. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, and grieve as those who have no hope. Right? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, he says, Jesus is going to call us up in those clouds. Amen. And we're going to thus, we, I like what he says there in First Thessalonians. He says, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. How awesome is that going to be? I love what John, as he concludes the revelation, his last words in revelation. You remember John twenty two twenty. he says, and he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And then John says, even so come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We are looking forward to him coming. So as we celebrate this morning, we do so realizing our unity in Christ. We realize it's all about Jesus. But then there's something else that Paul says that I think is the very sobering part of the text. And that is as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's time to take inventory. It's a a time that we look at our own lives and we look into our own heart and we take inventory. Notice what he says, therefore, verse 27, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now I need to just stop there because see, we get hung up on that word unworthy. And what we think is, you know, how how I'm poor pitiful me, I'm unworthy. I I can't come, you know, I, I can't seem to get it right. I keep faltering and falling and I'm not the best Christian in the world. And so we get this whole game that we play, you know, am I, we're the unworthy today. So when we begin to think about taking spiritual inventory, let me just tell you all right up front. And there's not a single person in this house who is worthy. Amen. There's none of us worthy. That's the beauty of the cross. 
That's the beauty of celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's a sobering reminder that there's not a single person in here who's worthy. And when he's talking about coming in an unworthy manner, he's talking about your actions. And he's talking about your attitude. He's not talking about salvific issues. He's not talking about the fact, are you saved or not saved here? What he's talking about is, are you coming with an attitude that's wrong towards the Lord's Supper and an action that's wrong? For example, Paul says already to the church at Corinth, right, I cannot praise you in this because you're already coming with an attitude of division. So don't come with an attitude of division to the cross of, of uh, or excuse me, to the Lord's table. Amen. If you've got division in your heart, get it right. Repent of it. And then come, because you don't want that division in your heart. Paul already said, don't come. Listen, don't come when you're mistreating other people. You know, if you got food and you're neglecting other people and you, you have this attitude that's bad towards one another, he says, listen, that's unworthy. Don't, don't come in that fashion, that vein. Paul said, I can't praise you. I can't. That's why he's given all this instruction, right? Get that stuff right. Get it right. Inventory your life and see if you get it right. But this unworthy matter has to deal with in my approach to the table. And I wrote down some things to help me remember in my own life. What are some unworthy methods or methodologies that we come? But can I just tell you, number one, unworthy would be coming in, 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 in the attitude of just I'm practicing a ritual. That, that I'm coming, hey, just because this is what we do. You know, we don't want to make this just routine. It's not a ritual. We already talked about it earlier. It's not a sacrament. It's nothing that you're going to get out of this that's going to be giving you grace. <laughs> Amen. It's a celebration of grace, but it's not going to impart grace. So don't, don't come participating in the Lord's table this morning with some kind of ritualistic mindset or idea. Uh, let me also just tell you, this, the next thing I wrote down was this, that, that if I come with a, a wrong belief about the table, that is, if I come thinking, hey, by taking this, God's going to bless me even more. God's going to give me more grace. <laughs> Don't come with that attitude, amen, because it's not going to be the case. We already said it doesn't impart grace, it celebrates grace. So as we come today, it's not, you know, there's some folks that believe that. Even in Baptist churches, they believe, well, if we take the Lord's Supper, it's such a sacred thing that God's going to give me grace by taking this. That is not the case. We don't find that in the Word of God at all. So don't do that. Don't come this morning thinking, well, I'm going to get some kind of merit or grace as a result of this. The second thing I wrote down, and I've already said it, but I'll, write it, I'll give it to you again, is bitterness or hatred towards fellow believers. How are we treating one another? The other thing I wrote down is when we treat the meal lightly. That is, we're just going through the motions. How, how many of y'all have been to the Lord's Supper and you just went through the motion? You know, we, we do that, don't we? You know, let's just be honest. We do that. You know, there's been times in my ministry where I felt like, man, I probably should not take the Lord's Supper today. But because I'm serving it, because I'm the pastor and I stand in front of him and I've talked about this. The danger of standing here is that everybody's watching you. Can you imagine if I'm up here and I don't take the Lord's Supper? Oh, preacher God, oh, we got some sin in his life. Something going on. You know what I'm saying? And I just prayed. I, and I, there have been times, Marina testified, I've been tired of the way home and I said, now listen, if I die tonight, <laughs> here's why I died. I shouldn't have took the Lord's table today. That's a serious matter. Amen? That's serious. And then lastly, write it down. Listen. Coming with known sin in our heart. Listen, there's sins that we commit we don't know, right? Let's just be honest. There's times we sin that we just sort of, we don't know. But there's times where sin is prevalent and it's in our lives. And it, you know why it's an affront? You know why it's an unworthy manner to do that, to come and known sin in your life? Because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus tried to set you free from sin. And Paul says in Romans 6, 
How is it that you have died to sin, continue to live in it? He goes on and he says, stop presenting your, your members as instruments of sin. How can we come to the table and celebrate the grace that has been brought to us through the death of Jesus Christ because of our sin and have sin that we know about? That's why it's inventory time, amen? It's time for us to think about our own lives, not those around us. But notice what he says, when we come with a bad attitude, we come with the wrong motive. He says, therefore, in verse 27, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and again, that's you're only worthy to come because of the blood of Christ who has covered you. He said, we'll be guilty of, he said, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That is, we, we trample on it. I like what Hebrews 10 29 reminds us of. Listen to what it says. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? Listen, we don't want to treat the blood common. Amen? And and, And Paul reminds us that if we come to the Lord in an unworthy manner, Listen, it's like we're trampling on the sacrifice of Christ. Many of you all understand what it's like when you see somebody on the news screen who's burning a flag or trampling on the American flag. Listen, it's far worse to trample on the blood of Christ. So therefore, verse 28, notice what he says. Let a man examine himself. Let him just look in his own heart. Let him look at himself. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. See, all you're affecting is yourself. You're not affecting everybody else. If you want to play silly games and you want to try to fool God and you want to try to fool everybody else, you're really hurting yourself because you're drinking in judgment to yourself, he says, not discerning the Lord's body. That is to mistreat what Jesus has done for us, to trample on it. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick and many have died. Paul saying, you know, you got some folks in your church, they're sick. And the reason why they're sick is because they mistreated the Lord's Supper. You know, you got some folks in your church that are physically weak. Don't know what's wrong with them. I'll tell you what's wrong with them, Paul says. They mistreated the Lord's table. Paul said, you know what? Brother so-and-so died. You know why he died? Because he came before the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Now, that's pretty serious stuff. I don't know what you think about that, but that's pretty serious. We don't ever get that serious, do we? But I want you to get serious this morning. He says, for if we judge ourselves, verse 31, he said, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. That why? That, that we may not be condemned with the Lord. God is going to whip his children. <laughs> I love him. We'll say it again. God still pulls the peach limb. Amen. But he does that in order to keep us from being condemned with the world. If you're his child, he's going to, he's going to correct you. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment. And I'll set the rest in order when I come. Paul says that we need to take an honest look at our own attitudes, our own actions, our own motives as we approach the Lord's table. There's a song that used to be sung. It goes like this. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord, who stands in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, who stands in the need of prayer. Hey, we can hear that, bro. Um, So let's pray together.
And as we pray, I want you to rest in two scriptures this morning. First of all, Romans 8.1 says, There's near for now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. And in 1 John 1.9, if we confess sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we think about coming to the table this morning, it's time for us to take spiritual inventory of our own lives. For some of you this morning, what that looks like is that you would repent of your sin and you would call the name of Jesus to save you. You've never been saved. And for some strange reason you think this morning, your heart's being drawn to a, a sacrificed Savior on a cross. His dying for you on the cross in your place has become more evident than it's ever been. It almost appears as if God is speaking to you directly. Well, he is. And he's calling you to himself this morning. He's calling you to repent and to put your faith in the work of his son, Jesus, on the cross and nothing else. Some of you this morning are my brothers and sisters in Christ and Jesus is talking as well and God is speaking and God is calling us to look seriously at our own hearts this morning to examine ourselves to make sure that when we come, our motives are pure, our actions are clean, and when we approach the table this morning, we're doing so in a worthy manner. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.